a great pleasure to be in New York, which is a, a real adventure for this project, which is 154, which started uh, some two years ago in 2013 with the first um, event in, uh, in London, which was uh, a kind of, uh, how shall I put it, uh, crazy thing to do, but necessary. I usually say that I'm not a fair person at all, but there are certain projects and there are certain fairs that you just have to engage with. And 154 is one of those for me personally, to, to be part of it and to contribute to its uh, growth, also to, um, to contribute to its, uh, how do you say, recognition. And uh, in London, the conversations usually take place in the basement. And I have developed a little joke in London where, where I say that while people are doing business of the cash upstairs, we are doing the business of the mind downstairs. But in New York, it's totally the opposite. So we are doing the business of the mind upstairs while they are doing the business of the cash downstairs. And uh, it was important uh, uh, to me that during this uh, uh, art fair, we have a framework and a setting to discuss what pertains to producing art, to making art, to uh, promoting art, to uh, interpret art, and also to analyze art in a, in a critical sense, in a political manner, and, uh, and also uh, in, a, in a theoretical way. What is it that makes um, people, artists, curators, art professionals generally engage with, uh, with this matter? And coming to New York, I mean, I don't want to get into the, you know, uh, ever, never-ending uh, conversation about what is contemporary Africa not or not. Um, I, I'm interested in how we produce, how we, um, how we uh, analyze, and how we interpret what I call global black culture. And that global black culture for me is way beyond geographical uh, considerations and uh, to include diasporic trajectories, to include the US, to include Cuba, to include Brazil. And, and I really think that if there are no sort of nationalistic uh, understanding of artistic practice, but there is certainly a cultural, historical, and political understanding of it. And this is what I think it is uh, important for us to discuss. Unfortunately, I have to begin there. Uh, the keynote address that was supposed to be delivered by uh, Margot Crawford from uh, Cornell University had to be canceled due to a loss in the family and all our thoughts are totally with Margot today, who's, uh, who went back to Chicago to be with her family. And, uh, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just, it's, uh, uh, it's a really a big pleasure for me to be able to um, introduce the first panel, uh, which 
when I was uh, thinking of this series of talks, I was really trying to bring together people that I believe and I think and have experienced in that represent or perform, rather, perform these global black subjectiv subjectivities. What, and, and you will see that over the two days of the, of the discussions here, uh, a thread is uh, one kind of theoretical or thinking thread, it keeps coming back. And uh, that is the, the question of uh, what is the status of Africa in the term African-American. Uh, we could not bring this event to New York without getting to discuss these kind of questions. And uh, given the recent events also in the American society, uh, a kind of, uh, how can I put it, uh, racial situation that has been reheated in, uh, in, uh, in many ways, I think that it is just timely to uh, think about what does it mean to be of African descent today? What role art has to do in defining that role, in defining that position in a context like New York? What are the historical, emotional, uh, affective, political um, kind of references and affinities or non-affinities also uh, that relate this um, uh, thinking or this uh, a diverse group of people to Africa uh, or not. So it is a great pleasure for me to uh, to introduce. Uh, I think I will introduce uh, Chica first, who uh, doesn't need to be introduced anymore. I hope in the New York scene, Chica is an artist, curator, and associate professor of art history in the Department of Art and Archaeology and Center for African American Studies at Princeton University. He co-organized several art exhibitions, including the Nigerian Pavilion at the first Johannesburg Biennial in 1995, seven stories about modern art in Africa at Whitechapel Gallery in London in 1995 also and the short century independence and liberation movements in Africa, 1995, 1994 to 1994, uh, in co-curating with uh, uh, Okri and Weso. His books include Contemporary African Art since 1990, Who Knows Tomorrow, Duke University Press, 2004. He is a columnist for Huffington Post, a blogger for Ofudunka, and co-editor of Unka, Journal of Contemporary African Art. Chika will be leading the discussion that includes three amazing speakers. And uh, it's only actually now that I, I see you sitting here that I realize that they are all women and a man moderating. That was not on purpose. <laughs> it's, a, it's a coincidence. I will start with the middle, Neymar J. Cave. Neymar Cave is an associate curator at the Studio Museum in Harlem and is responsible for organizing exhibitions 
publications and coordinating all aspects of the Artists in Residence program. Since joining the Studio Museum in 2011, she has organized several exhibitions, several comprehensive solo museum exhibitions, including Kianja Strobert, 2014, Titus Kaffa, 2014 also, and Glenn Kaino, 2014, and Robert Prout, 2013. Is it right, huh? I have it right. Her historical survey, survey Charles Gaines, Great Work, 1974 to 1989, in 2014, traveled to the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles, will travel in spring 2015, and was nominated for a Best Monographic Museum Show in New York Award by the Inter International Association of Art Critics. She has also organized acclaimed group exhibitions, including The Shadows Took Shape, co-curated with Zoe Whiteley in 2013. Please welcome Naima. I continue with Ruje Kohokli to the far right. Ruje Kohokli is assistant curator of contemporary art at the Brooklyn Museum. She joined the museum in 2012 and has since worked on exhibitions, including Latoya Ruby Fraser, A Haunted Capital in 2013, the Bruce High Quality Foundation, Ode to Joy 2013 as well, Unfolding Tales, selections from the collection in 2013 as well, and Kehinde Widely, a New Republic in 2015, to which she also contributed the catalog essay on Wiley's stained glass work. She was co-curator of Crossing Brooklyn, Art from Bushwick, Bed-Stuy and Beyond in 2014, a group exhibition of 35 Brooklyn-based artists and co-author of its accompanying catalog. Previously, Rujeko worked as curatorial assistant at the Studio Museum in Harlem, from 2005 to 2007. She is a PhD candidate in art history, theory, and criticism in the visual arts department at the University of California. Please welcome Rujeko. <laughs> Last but not least, Julie Meretu. Julie was born in Addis Abeba, is an artist, and lives and works in New York and Berlin. She has shown extensively in international and national exhibitions with recent solo exhibitions, including Julie Meretu, The Mathematics of Droves at White Cube in Sao, at White Cube in Sao Paulo. Is that correct? No. Yeah? Good. Uh, in 2014. And uh, Julie Meretu, Half a Shadow in Berlin in 2014 also. And recent group exhibitions include the Sharjah Biennial, which is ongoing in Sharjah, the Forever Now contemporary painting in a temporal world at MoMA in New York 2015, the International Biennial of Contemporary Art Foundation of Cartagena in Colombia in 2014, and the fifth Moscow Biennial in Russia in 2013. Julie is a recipient of many awards, including the MacArthur Award in 2005, the Berlin Prize, the Gunnar S. Mundheim Fellowship at the American Academy in Berlin, 2007, the Barnett and Anna Lee Newman Award in 2013, and U.S. Department of State Medal of 
Arts Award in 2015. Uh, thank you very much for accepting to have this discussion about global black subjectivities, and uh, I really very much look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, Koyo, for um, inviting me to this program. Um, and thanks to the panelists for um, accepting also to be, uh, to dig into the question of black subjectivities. Um, hopefully would explore what this might actually mean um, and um, what, if anything, this uh, has to do with artistic practices and curatorial um, practices in the present. Um, I think that looking at our world today, um, when one thinks about blackness, uh, I think we want to understand this to refer to the, um, the histories and experiences and uh, subjectivities of African and African diaspora um, peoples uh, across the planet. And in recent years, uh, there have been uh, different shifts, different kinds of, uh, different ways of thinking of articulating the, um, the African and African diasporic subject. Um, and one can see these in terms of um, uh, oppositional framing. Um, at one point, and even now, there's a sense of an overwhelming what uh, some have called Afro-pessimism. Uh, and this is marked in many different ways um, in the African continent by what in, you know, in these days we see the ways in which black migration um, has written itself in terms of incredible tragedy uh, unfolding in the Mediterranean. On the other hand, uh, we have had reason to think of an Africa rising as a new rhetoric, um, uh, you know, working in tandem uh, with the sense of an Afro-pessimism. On the other side, um, we have um, seen reason to think that black subjectivity in the United States and other diasporic places are also in, in flux. Um, a sense of uh, hope and uh, positive uh, um, articulation or imagination of the black subject in the age after the election of the black president in the United States. But we also have seen um, the extent to which the black male subject is almost uh, under siege in the same 
United States uh, of our present. So again, we see these uh, dynamics unfolding simultaneously. And we're here to talk about art. Uh, we're here to talk about um, how artists make work and how curators do their work with the work of art. Um, in Venice this year, uh, the exhibition that has just opened um, by Opium Weso, the Venice Biennial, um, which, as some of us might know, has been receiving tremendous um, response. Um, and a lot of it has to do with this question of black subjectivity, writ large. Um, now, sort of participating in what used to be assumed to be global dialogue, but uh, previously was not necessarily part of this dialogue. What does it mean for the black subject to emerge in the global scene? And what kinds of disruptions um, uh, does that um, uh, bring forth? Um, so having to see, uh, having gathered here with Julie, with Nema, uh, and with Uheko, uh, to think uh, about these questions. I want to um, begin with a statement by Opiangwezo, and I make, I refer to this not because I agree with it or I disagree with it, but as a way to think about um, how art and artists and curators grapple with um, subjectivity as such, whether it's black or human subjectivity. Um, and this is in his introductory um, catalog um, where he noted that while art has no obligation to address or reflect the historical conditions of its time, so it doesn't have an obligation. Um, the art exhibition, which is already, as he puts it, a, a part of this messy world uh, it inhabits must be critically engaged with the latter, that is critically engaged with this messy world. And this messy world, black subjectivity, as I um, referred to earlier on, is part of it in both in its positive and its uh, not so positive dimensions. Um, so as it imagines it, art doesn't necessarily have to engage with subjectivity as such, with the human experience and condition, but the art exhibition, because it involve, it's involved in the dynamic um, of exchange and commerce and discourse and so forth out there, um, uh, has to engage with its time. Um, and I want to bookend this with uh, something that I uh, wrote recently in Huffington Post that had to do with the, uh, the American context. Um, and this was uh, in April um, where I wondered why contemporary art seems oblivious um, of the turmoil across the United States 
uh, since the killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson last year and the rise of the so-called Black Lives Matter movement, which some have called the new civil rights movement. Um, we have seen art, artists in other um, genres, musicians, writers, um, and so forth, engage with this question, you know, either individually or collectively. But it seems as if art, as you know, visual art, uh, the art that goes to galleries and museums and art fairs um, doesn't want to engage with this question. And I think back to the 1960s um, and artists were really grappling with the civil rights movement, its implications, the answers they provided were different, but they were talking about uh, So I'm wondering whether there's something in the present uh, of contemporary art um, that precludes it from engaging with its time. And so I would like to um, broach this um, with us, um, you know, with the, the panelists. Um, how does one respond to this question of um, art's engagement with subjectivity, which includes, of course, black subjectivity, right? Um, whatever that subjectivity is. Um, is, it, is there something about contemporary art in the present that makes it um, either not permissible or not really interesting for artists that you've worked with or for, in terms of your curatorial work and the work of other curators in the present? So um, let's take on. Yes. Oh. Can you guys hear us? Great. Um, thank you guys for coming and for having us, Koya, and for moderating, Chica. Um, I think, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I would personally necessarily agree entirely that artists are not or discussing or responding to these kind of broader events in the most, in the more immediate recent past, but also kind of in a broader span of you know, history and contemporary and historical events. Um, I mean, I'm thinking right now of Smack Mellon, which is a residency and exhibition space here in Brooklyn in Dumbo, had a show called Respond a couple of months ago, which was an open call to artists mm -hmm. to literally respond specifically to issues pertaining yes. to Black Lives Matter and to the, um, Ferguson, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, you know, it was a very large show with a lot of work in it, a lot of artists responded um, and so that is kind of outside of perhaps the the art market and the purview of fairs etc but I think that is really the, the crux of it because I'm not sure the artists in the 1960s who were responding to the civil rights movement were equally involved you know there I don't know that at that moment those artists were involved in the quote-unquote mainstream art world and yes. some of them may now be mm -hmm. 50 years later their work mm -hmm. may be in MoMA or the Brooklyn Museum or the Studio mm -hmm. Museum or at fairs you know at the Armory at Freeze but in that moment like thinking of the black arts movement those artists were not that wasn't where their attention was and mm -hmm. so I don't know if it's to look to fairs and to look to kind of the top kind of quote unquote top dominant mainstream institutions might not be the place mm -hmm. as speaking as yes. someone who works at one. Yes. 
I, I actually yeah. I agree with Rue. Um, not because she's my friend, but I, mm -hmm. I, <laughs> I also agree with Rue. I, I find that in the studio visits I've done in the last few months, there are a number of artists that are taking their time to really think about, sorry, can everyone hear me? Um, that the idea of Black Lives Matter and just kind of mm -hmm. what's happening in our current society is definitely on their minds. And I think that um, artists are either responding in a way where they're in such exhibitions as respond, mm -hmm. or they're trying to digest. I think in an age where we're, you know, tweeting and Facebooking and Instagramming everything instantly, um, I think it's very easy to kind of jump in and to add your opinion and to push, repost and share and all that great stuff. But I find that a number of artists are actually trying to, just as I am, um, as a curator, trying to digest this moment rather than just kind of throwing something out there. Um, I know in that same Huffington Post article you brought up Titus. Um, Titus's show in Chelsea, and you know, I had an opportunity to also work with Titus um, and to um, put up his um, Jerome project um, as well. And you know, that project, for example, while it, you know it speaks to a very kind of current and relevant issue about prison reform and black men in prison, um, has been a project he's been working on for years, um, and has more to do with him personally than it does necessarily to our current moment. Um, and then he was asked to, you know, a, a, a Time magazine editor saw to show the studio museum and then ask him to make the, um, you know, the image for, for time. Um, and so then he was asked to kind of respond in that moment. Um, but, you know, I think that, um, that was kind of so serendipitous, but it was just, it was more serendipitous than him necessarily kind of responding to Trayvon Martin and Eric Garner and others. I think, um, the, obviously the idea of, of prison reform and black, men incarceration, black male incarceration has been an ongoing issue. So I, I do find that there have been a number of artists that I've had more recent studio visits with that are just more kind of taking their time to digest rather than just kind of throwing and putting stuff out there. I think they want to make more thoughtful, I think, um, comments on what's happening in current society. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think also you think of Dred Scott or Carol Lynch, um, artists that have always, this has been what they've done with, for, for decades. and have been consuming and responding to the to whatever was taking place at the current moment. I think it's also interesting because you have different forms being made out, completely outside necessarily the contemporary ga art gallery and yes. museum world. Mm -hmm. I don't even really pay attention to the fair world, but mm -hmm. outside of those contexts where you have artists um, cre creating new form in social media mm -hmm. and in, in kind of these larger street um, what do you call these pop-up kind of flash activities yeah. that yeah. are creating new forms of even expression and, and, and movement. So you have those, these kind of other forms that are evolving new language that's coming out of this situation in response to that, that's mm -hmm. taking place on a much bigger social level. And I also think that... Um, I had another point, but I've lost it, which is kind of the way I'm going to be all day, warning right now. No, I was, actually, I was thinking, I was really um, intri intrigued and um, interested in your, your term Afro-pessimism, um, because, um, and I might have to quote you on that one day, um, because a number of the reviews about Oakley's, um, you know, the, the biennial has been that, that is very pessimistic, that the outlook, um, that, you know, kind of, you know, walking through, you know, um, Oscar's kind of black flags, and then you have Glenn's neon, and, you know, there were several moments that were a lot more pessimistic um, than people anticipated. Um, but then I also kind of wonder, I didn't, and I did not actually feel that way. Um, I, I didn't feel sad or cry or, you know, I didn't have any of those moments, but... Um, I don't know, I was just, I was really intrigued by your, you know, kind of, 
kind of positioning like this Afro pessimism versus like said versus mm -hmm. the you know Barack Obama and blah blah yeah. blah. Africa rising. Yeah, exactly, Africa yeah. rising um, idea, and and um, I'm wondering if um, if Oakley was really. I guess responding to our current moment. I mean, just because mm -hmm. I'm thinking about how long it takes to mm -hmm. organize an exhibition, and sometimes, again, sometimes things just be more serendipitous. I mean, I don't mm -hmm. know when he started kind of thinking about when he was asked at the mm -hmm. exact moment. I don't know, yeah. you know, how long he'd been kind of been thinking about this roster of artists. Yeah. But um, I'm wondering if people saw it as pessimistic because of the current state that we're in, or because it really was a pessimistic. Yeah. Well, I or, think I think that uh, that part of it is that. Um, so many people go to art as a place of refuge. In other words, as a place to get away from the present, right? From the real, because art is, you know, imaginative work. So the, when it brings close, too close, the, the real, the present, then it... It, it troubles, you know, such expectations. Um, the, it, it's quite clear in terms of his project um, that so many things are coming together at the same time and the show then seems to be responding to the immediate issues and, and you know, stuff going on across the, the, the planet. Right. Um, so I think that um, part of it is that there's the exhibition, unlike anything in recent times at least, uh, exhibitions of this scale, and I, I take the, the, the point that, uh, that you both raised in terms of where you see these kinds of conversation happening, right? Not that they are not happening, um, but it's happening at a you know, substrate level, right? Just before you get to that ground floor where the galleries are, right? Where the galleries that are marketing work to the very, you know, um, sections of society that really doesn't want to be told that things are bad when things are really not bad for them in any case. So I think that there's a sense in which for a show of this scale, to then take up what seems like um, and you know conversations that are, or works that are shown at that substrate level to bring them up to the main floor as you know you know symbolically that is disorienting, yeah. and I think that that's that's what is going on with this with the Venice show um, because these are artists from all over the world, right? So it's not as if they are responding to a particular thing happening in Nigeria or in India or in Brazil. They happen to come from all over the world. And yet these, from the so-called mainstream artists to emerging artists. So it's, as, it's clear that even the artists themselves um, are responding to this. But in terms of the market, in terms of the system, right, of exchange, whether it's gallery, museum, or art fairs, that's a different matter altogether. When these kind of works um, venture into this realm, it sort of disorients um, you know, those who are used to seeing a different kind of work at that scale or at that level. 
So I think that that's my sense of why this sort of almost knee-jerk reaction to the Venice. Um, uh, knee-jerk being the black pessimism. Well, um, in fact, you, if you see some of the reviews, they are suggesting yeah. you know, there are too many African artists that we don't or know of. the knee-jerk right? being that this is, you know, this idea of the universal. I think that's what it comes yeah. down to is like, what is art for? And there's yeah. an answer that is art is for pleasure mm -hmm. and is for escape, mm -hmm. um, which is a very old idea, which yeah. is fine. But another old idea about what art is for is about kind of you know, having like an intellectual experience, having kind of being pushed to think about things in a different way, et cetera, yeah. having this kind of intense reaction. And yeah. so I think a lot of the reviews are really about not so much the pessimism, but just more like, what is this doing here? Yeah. Why, like here being kind of at the biennial, at the kind of center of a certain sort of yeah. historical kind of exhibition making, et cetera, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. high culture. Um, mm -hmm. and, but I think it's this idea of like the art should be universal that Oakley's show or that any you know, culturally specific institution or artists who may or may not make work that is reflective of their race because only you know, non-white people have race apparently mm -hmm. when in mm -hmm. fact we know that to be untrue. Yeah. Um, so I think that this idea of universality is what the issue is that the, the, the threat of Oakley's show is that it is kind of laying bare that there is no... Universal. So yeah. you hear this thing about he's bringing the periphery to the center. Yeah. Of course, as we know, the center and the periphery is a positional. Like if yeah. you are from that, if you're from the quote-unquote periphery, it's not the periphery to you. Yeah, it is the, the center. center. Yeah, you, everywhere, and that's true of all of us everywhere yeah. we are. And I think the threat of that show is that he is not really, he isn't presenting it as center periphery. He's presenting it as center well, center. Yeah. But it's also because it's black. Afri black and African. I mean, because Massimiliano, Mas Gioni, last, for the last Venice, did yeah. the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. I think he had two artists of African descent or three yeah. out of the, the, the number. Many of the artists you had not, hadn't heard of, had not, people had not seen, were mm -hmm. outliers and outside, uh, outsider artists in yeah. the same way. So it's a kind of a ridiculous... Yeah. And, and I think the, the other point um, about in, in terms of the African-American uh, context, um, looking at the 60s with the Afri-Cobra group, um, precisely because they were working regardless of any attention by the so-called mainstream. They could do what they wanted to do, you know, what meant something to them in terms of articulating um, it, it, the black position, if, as it were, the, the, the aesthetic dimensions of black subjectivity, right, during the civil rights movement. And it's no surprise, I would think, that um, perhaps because of that, they never made it to the so-called mainstream. Because that work was already troubled. It was too much engaged with identity, right, art that deals with identity, well, subjectivity, if you want to use a, you know, a bigger word, right, um, is not, it's too much, too much trouble. Um, it's no surprise to me, and I think that when you look at the history, that um, it's Romare Bearden, right, that God accepted at the very, you know, 
in the post-civil rights period with the show at the Whitney and, and so forth, that black artists you know, from Harlem and so forth picketed, right? Because this was the one artist who sort of put the question of you know, black subjectivity a little bit at bay you know, so he could do work. Um, that then gets that big show, that, that introductory show of a black artist in the United States, right? So I think that looking at what has happened with, with African-American artists r relative to the so-called American mainstream institutions, that that puts uh, a lot of pressure on you know, if, even if individually artists are interested in these questions, the realm at which they are practicing, except of course if you've built a career as a troublemaker, right? Um, the kind of um, Hans Hake thing, you know, we know, we always expect, you know, critical stuff from him. But for a majority of the artists, the, the question of acceptance comes with it you know, this challenge of how much of your baggage do you bring along in this travel, really? I so, don't know. Well, let, yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, that's the idea. I don't know. <laughs> I think need? you have many, I mean, I think artists work from a very different place and point. I, yeah. I can only speak for myself, but from mm. many, many that I know, I don't think that, um, it, I don't think, I think, you can look at trends that make it seem that um, certain types of, of pro projects and certain types of work are not part of the main kind of um, art industrial complex, as you want, yeah. whatever you want to yeah. call yeah. the yeah. kind of financial yeah. monetization of the yeah. art world that has yeah. taken place in an extreme measures in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. But I think if you, I think in that, cat in, in this, at the same time, you have many artists who have been able to put um, that subjectivity, front and center, who are a huge part of that pro project. And well, you can go to the Brooklyn Museum right now and see the Kikinde Wiley show that, that deals with this directly, yes. whose paintings are part of the exchange system of this yes. other, and many others, from Kara mm. to mm. Glenn, mm. Um, Ligon to McElaine Thomas, many who really, yes. this is the, yeah. so I don't, and, and, I, and I don't think any of them are thinking there's a certain way, a, a certain kind of mode in terms of how to, or, how to orient themselves mm. within that. Mm. I think when you think about really political projects that mm. are trying to do outside of p painting, outside mm. of a particular form of object making, mm. you have um, uh, artists who are in the effort of trying to invent something else that um, don't find a place within that place of exchange. Mm. And then I think it's very um, challenging or, or kind of... Um, uh, it's kind of a, a major disappointment that the U U.S. art world really mm. doesn't look past the United States for its artists of color. Yeah. So you have a few uh, galleries like Jack Shaman and a few others mm -hmm. that will work with African artists mm -hmm. who have made it really big elsewhere and yeah. show them here. Mm -hmm. But you don't really have a lot of, I mean, Isaac Julian you could talk about yeah. as one. Yeah. But many of the others from Black Audio Film Collective or... Smoking Dog Films, or any of these other main... John Comfra. John yeah, that's who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Who you would, I mean, who deserves a full museum retrospective show here in the United States, and you yeah. haven't seen that, or yeah. you haven't seen the, the kind of, that historic, that, that has been taking place for a long time since the early 90s, late yeah. 80s, that yeah. 
So that is a kind of a there's there's a big gap there, and yeah. I don't know why that mm -hmm. is it's still so present mm -hmm. that you have to go to Europe to to understand yeah. this kind of conversation and be a part yeah. of that dialogue. Yeah, I think that's what I find very um, important in the Studio Museum F shows. Yes. Right. Um, the way that they imagined black subjectivity, right? It's, it's black, right? International. Um, but then, of course, you then see the ways in which uh, those artists that are not from the United States, um, even if the Studio Museum introduced them to the American um, you know, art world, as it were, that is looking to those F shows, right, for the new kids on the block and so forth. Um, it's almost as if it's only very few of those non-US artists that get introduced through those shows that actually go on to get any uh, recognition in the United States, um, which then leads one to the you know, next thing, um, which well, it is... it becomes like, it's a, it's a commercial, there's a commercial aspect to why certain yeah. artists are successful or consumed yeah. then in the U.S. in a certain way. Yeah. But the show you did at the Studio mm. Museum, mm. Um, how, what was it called, the Afrofuture show? Yeah, that Shadow yeah. Took Shape. That Shadow Took Shape. Yeah. Uh, it deserved massive amount more space. It could have been, yeah. an ex and, and it brought... An it attention. Brought this, an attention to yeah. artists with a different type of imagination for mm -hmm. what this subjectivity could be. And yeah. in many ways, the artists that you do see mm. be getting a certain amount of tension or success in the United States operate within an understanding that, is, that also makes sense to mm -hmm. how blackness is, is consumed or understood, where blackness yes. is front and center. Whereas what was interesting about where the shadows take shape, yeah. <laughs> the Afrofuture show, shadows shadow. it was a great show, yeah. that, 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 this, that, there were this, that there's this, this other imagination, there's mm -hmm. this other form of inventiveness that's mm -hmm. trying to pierce through mm -hmm. and, and create a different type of offer alternate aesthetics, offer alternate possibilities of mm. how this kind of subjectivity mm. is imagined or, or negotiated. Mm. And I don't think that that is very well kind of, um, or not well received or mm. properly mm. kind of, um, there's not a place for that to be properly digested in maybe the same way here yeah. in the United States. And that's a question that I don't know yeah. why that, why yeah. that's You know, it, 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 it um, I think yeah. it might also have a lot to do with the funding structure of institutions in the United States. It, yeah, that's the, um, yeah, the Because commercial. I do think that there is, you know, it's almost impossible to escape the reality that nonprofit institutions, art institutions in the U.S. are pretty much over 50% reliant on private, private donation, yeah. um, i.e., individual, either corporations or wealthy individuals who very often are not actually despite doing sometimes good work, are maybe not that interested in a show like Oakley's in yeah. which he says the great drama of our, of our era is capital. Yeah. You know, in which, and so, or in shows like Shadows in which kind of multiple lenses and multiple registers of what we call blackness, which has, you know, what does that even mean, are presented. And so is it, or is it more appealing to have something that is quite legible? Mm -hmm. Yes. Is it easier to get funding for shows that are quite legible? Absolutely. And I think that that is very yeah. much on the kind of, unfortunately, like logistics brass tax level, does yeah. explain some of the differences between kind of a US and a European context because yeah. that is changing in Europe, sadly, 
they're coming more over to our <laughs> side. Um, but I think traditionally that has been what allows for, for a lot more nuance and a lot less fixity. Yes. I, I, yeah. I, I always struggle with that issue because it, it's definitely reality. And mm -hmm. it's you know, definitely reality in terms of you know, what funders want to support, um, mm. what the institution is able to... Um, in terms of travel, in terms of shipping, and there's yeah. all these logistical things that are realities that mm -hmm. we deal with as institutions all the time. Yeah. Um, but I'm always like kind of thinking like, is that our crutch? You know, is that our, is it, is it our job to kind of push our donors, our trustees, or mm. you know everyone else to say you need to be looking at you know Kilawanji, you need to be looking at you know other artists that are maybe yeah. not as commercially successful yet. Mm -hmm. um, are we saying yeah? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I always kind of feel like and maybe do we need to maybe not worry about commercial success and how it intersects with the institution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's, I'm thinking of this in a different way, uh, this, this question. Um, at the beginning of the 20th century, the United States was very instrumental in the imagining of black subjectivity through W.E.B. Du Bois especially uh, and the Pan-African movement. Um, but that changed at some point in the post-Second World War period when um, on the other side of the continent, uh, on the other side of the world in Europe, it was negritude that was parked in France, right, in Paris. But Pan-Africanism as such left the United States to the African continent uh, when it became a political project right, of decolonization. The United States, they were not fighting for independence, right, political independence. So once Pan-Africanism became a political project, it became a continental African phenomenon in the hands of, say, Kwame Nkrumah and so forth. Um, and what that suggests to me is that because of that shift that happened then, what used to be a global uh, black project uh, with which American intellectuals and historians were engaged became a US project uh, that then became civil rights movement. It became you know, national. And it seems to me that that has some role to play, aside from the question of money and funding, which I know perhaps too much about uh, in terms of um, trying to organize African exhibitions. The big ones never happen in the United States. I mean, if you look at the history, you know, they happen in Europe and maybe come to the US. Um, but that there's a sense in which um, the, in, in African-American post-war uh, experience, looking beyond the United States became not such, uh, be, you know, ceased to be a project of, you know, black intellectuals. Even when the civil rights movement was having tremendous impact on African independence movement. But it, that aspect of that history is sort of not so much um, so evident, that relationship, you know, Sort of, sort of got severed at that point. And so it seems to me that it's a combination of this question of the funding structures, 
uh, in the United States, but also the fact that um, you know, the kind of interest even artists had, American, uh, African-American artists had to travel you know, to get engaged with the continent you know, for generations. Um, got, there was a pullback from that you know, to a large measure. Now I'm buffeted with you know, the kind of bad news, right? that comes from Africa through the media and so forth. So even the idea of traveling there, of imagining you know, one's belonging to this international blackness with the rhetoric of American exceptionalism and so forth, the impact that those have on how we imagine black subjectivity as an international um, phenomenon, I think that limited that. Which then raises the question for me, you know, and for us, uh, since uh, 154 that was um, invented in, again, in Europe, right? <laughs> Not in the United States. Um, in Europe, in London especially, um, has ventured to New York. Um, it raises the question for us in terms of, you know, a number of questions. One. Um, is the U.S. still a good place, you know, from which to think about black subjectivities, right, international, as an international phenomenon um, through art, which is our business, right? Um, but also, is it possible that with a project like this, that could have an impact? Right, uh, to have 154 in New York, bringing very crucially galleries that operate in the African continent to New York um, to showcase the work of African artists, contemporary African artists working on the continent and you know in Europe. Um, do we see possibilities there? Um, at the same time, what kinds of possibilities might there be, aside from the incredible work that um, the Studio Museum has done over the past 20 years, um, and just as you mentioned, Julie, the work of Jack Scheinman in New York uh, in terms of bringing artists from the black, other black diasporas and from the continent to this you know, street level, mainstream gallery um, world. Any thoughts about that in terms of the, is, the, is New York, a, does it provide a good vantage point to imagine black subjectivities? Um, and then, you know, thinking about the art fair, the 154 and its potentialities. Any thoughts? I mean, yes. <laughs> yes, I think, I think yeah. New York does offer, to answer the first part, I yes. mean, I think absolutely. In terms of the fair, I mean, it is, ama it is a, an amazing thing to see, not just the artists, because I think some of the artists have come through different channels into mm -hmm. the U.S., but to actually to see galleries mm -hmm. that are coming out of countries in Africa, I think that's something that we don't see in thinking about the kind of structures that support artists. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really valuable thing to bring to this context. But, mm. I mean, the question of, 
of kind of Pan-Africanism and the U.S. like Black American relationship to the kind of global mm. diaspora. I mean, I think certainly there was a moment in mm. which there was a very strong attachment mm. from coming this way, going to Africa specifically, but also obviously coming back the other way. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know. I think that I, I think that artists let's say black American artists are still interested in the kind of broader world. I think that we sometimes don't put ourselves into that global conversation and we sometimes are not put into those global conversations. But in the moments in which it happens, you kind of see that there is, there's a lot of commonality and there's a lot of things that are in conversations that people are having, perhaps with the nuance of their specific center, mm -hmm. but that there are many commonalities. Mm -hmm. No. I mean, I don't yeah, think, I, I think New York could be much better um, at examining and being a, a place to like really examine this from. I think what's interesting, a different, a different type of form of trajectory that's interesting is actually Africans coming here and many Africans who've actually were raised on the continent, educated on the continent, actually living here and, and becoming artists in yeah, a different yeah. sense here mm. is you see New York has offered and other places in the United States has offered a platform in that way and I yeah. feel like a lot of our contemporary African artists that are mm -hmm. part of a, a conversation right now have actually done their graduate studies or in here in the United States and have been really contributed the same thing with art mm -hmm. historians I mm -hmm. think from yeah. and the um, publications like that so I think yes. in that sense you have this really important kind of mm. but mm. I, I think New York could be a lot better, and mm. I think uh, bringing up in terms of Af the work, understanding work from the continent, from the Middle East, from um, Europe, and understanding yeah. what this conversation is of uh, trans, Af trans transnationalism, this kind mm -hmm. of idea of the, uh, the uh, Paul Gilroy's work on, yeah. you know, black the Black Atlantic, and the, yeah. these, this kind of discourse, it doesn't take place here in New York with the, <laughs> with the rigor that it should. It's complete. Yeah. There's a, it's a, like a. It, just doesn't almost exist, mm -hmm. and it's shocking. I mean, you have kind of certain p places and poets in conversation in Northern California, yeah. and a conversation somewhat happening here. But it's really, it's it's kind of it's it's unbelievable considering what you have going on here that yeah. you have so little of that. You know, and I don't know why because you have yeah. enough people <laughs> and enough interesting. You know. Yeah. So I guess my, my question is, yes. is uh, what does success look like? I guess, what does success in terms of with 154, does it mean that there are more artists that are shown here or now, mm -hmm. or being shown literally at the, mm -hmm. in the fair, mm -hmm. um, are being shown in the US, or is it just because we're, be is it beginning a dialogue, that this actual form that we're having now? Mm -hmm. I'm wondering like, what does success look like? I mean, like, the idea of bringing it from London to New York, yeah. I guess, what is a parameter for success? For 154. One, 154, I'm wondering. Yeah. Is, it, is it sales? I mean, off the fair. Well, I'm right? sure. I'm sure that sales. Is, I'm sure uh, sales. You know, has to no, figure I, in there. Besides, but, a besides a monetary, but again, I course, know that business is happening right below. As I, you know, I understand. Yeah, but of course, I swiped, think but. you know. I just have to to say this that I think that the great thing that uh, Turia and um, uh, and Koyo have done um, is to recognize that. There's can't be, you know, art fair as usual, given the nature of one, the material, but also the um, its relationship with the wider art world. 
that there needs to be a lot more heavy lifting that needs to be done. And I think that that's what the forum um, does for 154. That um, to a certain extent, you sometimes forget that this is, a, this is something done to have galleries sell their work, right? Sell the artists that they work with. Um, but they also recognize, I think, I don't have briefs from them, but this is my understanding of, you know, looking at what they've done with the, with the forums, um, is that it provides um, the kind of information, network of information, of exchange, that um, is so fundamental to even the you know, commercial, intellectual, whatever other kinds of successes that one might um, bring to the table, right? When we're measuring the success of African, African diaspora, black artists, simple. Um, this is something that um, we recognized many years ago um, when we started the magazine, Nka. Um, working from different parts of the world. I was in Nigeria, I was in New York, I was in London, Salah was in Philadelphia, you know, and so forth. Um, we started this magazine as Journal of Contemporary African Art. It is still Journal of Contemporary African Art. But we recognize at some point that African-American artists were getting the short shrift because we are focused on African artists um, the other art magazines were not interested in the work of African-American artists, right? The other American magazines, um, except for Journal of African-American Art, you know, which wasn't getting any traction. So we decided to rethink without having to redefine officially our project, uh, how we think of Africa as African diasporic, but we didn't want to call it African diaspora, Journal of African and African diaspora, you know, too many words. But it's this sense in which we decided that this is actually a project, a journal project on black artists. Um, but what brings black artists together is Africa, you know, depending on their relative uh, position, you know, within that imaginary um, and historical reality called Africa. Um, so I think that in the way that 154 um, is 154, right? So 54 African countries. Um, I would hope and anticipate that the 54 referring to Africa um, can mean other things in terms of its ability to navigate the, you know, the global art world, in terms of its ability to define its project. Uh, so that in thinking about what success can mean, it's not so much um, the extent to which these conversations will happen and so forth, but the fact that we are sitting in New York and talking about the work of African-American artists already suggests to me that, the, that success for 154 is also 
reimagining its, you know, not just the forum, but the larger project of 154 in terms of the impact that it can have, uh, given that there are, I don't know of any other, right, that performs at this level, even though it's only in a couple of years um, of experience, that can um, bring with it the work of black artists, not just simply, you know, continental African artists. That's, you know, the way I am thinking about this, because the forums, whether they keep coming to New York um, or not, I hope they'll keep coming to New York because that's also part of the work that needs to be done. Like you, know, like you mentioned, New York is actually, yes, it, it can be a great vantage uh, position from which to think, imagine, interact with black subjectivities. But as Julie also suggests, and as I know, Europe for now has provided the most um, effective platform. New York can be. And part of what I think that 154 um, can do as it thinks about its other interests is to also think of uh, this work that needs to be done in terms of growing right, um, the, the dimensions of black subjectivity through the art fair, right? as one of the institutions of the present. I mean, we can't escape the fact that art fairs, as much as you know, we might loathe the, or some might loathe the, you know, the intervention of art fairs into I I contemporary art conversations, right? It does its own work. Um, and the idea is that 154 can you know, be part of the tool needed to engage with these questions of black subjectivity as such. Um, well, no, I was just going to say, I was just thinking about the ways in which 154 is kind of analogous to thinking about like alternative spaces and mm -hmm. the development, like the Studio Museum was founded as an alternative yes. space, um, as was, you know, the Kitchen mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Exitart and all these other kind of New York institutions. Pioneer Works kind of functions in some ways as an mm -hmm. alternative space. Mm -hmm. But I just think it's interesting maybe to think about that model as now yeah. placed onto the fair because... Mm -hmm a lot of the way that the fairs function, for better or for worse, is people go there to see new work, to mm -hmm. find new artists. Mm -hmm. And if those artists who are here at 154 are not in those <clears throat> um, non, you know, those quote-unquote mainstream fairs, then mm -hmm. they don't get seen in the same way mm -hmm. that, as we were saying, the F shows, for better or for worse, also kind of function in this like, oh, who's the new, th thank you yeah. for doing that work for me. Yeah. You know, and the question of like, if that work isn't done by the quote unquote alternative spaces and whatever kind of formulation we see that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. will anybody else do that work? And will those mm -hmm. artists, those concerns, those curators, those development people yeah. training at these institutions, will they make it out mm. into the brighter world? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think, I, I think for that reason alone, 154 mm. is really important. Um, mm. Mm. Julie. No, I agree. I was okay. just going to bring up William Popel's piece, Black People Are in the Building. It's like that's, you know, it's... <laughs> okay. Um, well, I think um, we can open up, yeah, to the audience. Um, questions, comments, um, we can them as they come. So please, if you have any... Yeah, yeah uh, 
Gabriela will be around and uh, managing the speakers. And while she's doing that, I would just want to uh, respond very quickly to uh, what you uh, touched upon uh, as to what is, I mean, Neymar said, what is the success of 154? Yeah, yeah. And then you, you give a very, I mean, I couldn't answer better, I think. But uh, I, I think it is important uh, to remind uh, the audience that um, somehow, as much as, you know, uh, most professionals, and usually, is the, 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 those who think of themselves of being extremely intellectual and uh, academic and analytical, who, who love the fairs as a platform of non-engagement, as a platform of uh, no, uh, uh, which is not important or exciting for the production and discussion of art. Uh, which I, I personally think it's a, it's a total uh, heresy in a sense that um, the, the, the discussion of art is embedded in a, in a system that includes different protagonists. Mm -hmm. And uh, you cannot deny uh, the existence of one while that protagonist has invested a very clear territory that everybody participates in. I mean, Rujeko, I think Ru was saying it, or Neymar was just saying that, I mean, a lot of people, museum directors, artists themselves, curators, and you name it, uh, everybody goes to fairs while hiding, yeah. you know. Oh, you didn't see me. I was not there. Uh, uh, in terms of looking for what is so quote-unquote new, what is unseen, what is, you know, what is the trend and so on. So, and, uh, and for, and I'm also part of those, I, I always say I'm not a fair person, but I'm totally invested in this fair <laughs> because for me, it's a political engagement to be invested in this fair. It's, a, it's an investment. And uh, the other thing that I, I wanted to say is that 154 from the very beginning, we also struggle with naming. Naming is a, is a difficult birth everywhere. So how do you, what kind of name do you give, knowing that the naming is something that you are supposed to carry for the rest of your existence, so to speak. So uh, how do you form it? What do you, what do you put into it that sort of translate and, and uh, transports the ideas that you 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 want to you want to uh, uh, share, and uh, in uh, in in putting to in thinking of 154, it was always clear uh, to Turia and myself that, of course, we we think of uh, 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 from a African perspective, but that African perspective is not necessarily a geographical limitation. It's, a, it's basically a mindset, you know? It's basically a, 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 a kind of a space that can be inhabited by different people. And those people can be African, of African descent or not, but as long as the owner black culture, African mm -hmm. culture, uh, diasporic culture, in a way or in another, 
uh, they are part of it. So this is also why uh, coming to New York was uh, was something that uh, was there, um, and that uh, Turia pushed. And luckily, she pushed that because I'm rather the one who's thinking, take it easy, slow down. But she's uh, she's the you know uh, uh, she she's the one who goes and uh, doesn't really think and think uh, later. But it's good, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, and so uh, and it was it was really always uh, uh, important to us. I mean, for instance, last year we had. Uh, we, we had gallery, we only don't only have galleries from Africa, we have galleries from, you know, from, uh, from Europe, and we hope to have galleries from Brazil, from Cuba, from, from the US, you know, who, who think of this platform as an opportunity to, to, to engage, as an opportunity to mingle, to mix, you know, and also as an opportunity to, uh, to promote the artists that, uh, that they work with. So diaspora motivation is, uh, is really at the basis of, uh, of 154. And the, the one stands for that diaspora. Of course, the 54 stands for the African country, but the one stands for this wider culture of, uh, of, uh, of Africa. And the other thing that uh, I think I wanted to uh, uh, maybe to to uh, respond to or ask the question. Uh, in, each, in the beginning of the conversation, you all were talking, uh, sort of reviewing or debriefing Venice somehow, and uh, uh, and the the kind of rather not very positive reviews that have been coming out so far about, uh, about Oakley's show. And uh, my question to you or just to the audience to open up this, and this is also why this forum is so focused on the role or on the affinities or on the, on the, on the reality of African-American or in really African-African-American uh, uh, subjectivity is how come that uh, Julie just said this discourse is not happening in New York, uh, one. Uh, how come that even after, I mean, Okwe is not at his first kind of trial, I mean, test in terms of global exhibitions, I mean, and shifting paradigms. So how come that even after Documenta 11, that was over 10 years ago, uh, the, the world is still so extremely myopic when it comes to having an African professional leading a major exhibition. So there is a, I've, what I want to kind of talk, um, uh, address is uh, this kind of uh, uh, schizophrenia mm -hmm. in terms of uh, there is on the one sense on the one hand there is this professional clear recognition but mm -hmm. at the same time exactly the audience that you are, are talking to that audience that doesn't want to talk about capital that audience that doesn't want that wants to escape mm -hmm. that audience that doesn't want to hear that things are bad 
And it's the same audience that sort of supports all this, you know, uh, doesn't want to hear it. So maybe it's a bit complicated in my head and my English is not always uh, perfect, but really uh, my concern and my question is, how can that can that be changed, or how? What's what's the real? What's why is it so? Especially in a city like New York, which is a world city, which is I mean you have great, amazing minds in this city, but at the same time we are still. I really sometimes feel like coming to New York. You are still somewhere, just right after the civil rights movement. You know, so it's uh, it's very difficult. <laughs> yes. Okay, well. Um, let's open up um, for comments. And yeah, let's, let's give them, yeah. Um, I just want to say, I guess, a couple of comments um, that might get me by way of your last question, Koyo. But the first is, is that Afro-pessimism is a concept that has been thoroughly written about beautifully, eloquently, sometimes problematically, by Orlando Patterson. Um, uh, also, Hortense Spillers has written beautifully about it, especially from a feminist perspective. And also, of course, um, Frank um, Wilderson. So I encourage everyone, if you don't know this, to really, really read up on it, because it's, it's something that's been very complexly debated in the context of uh, the Academy. On the other hand, I do want to say that all of these different terms that somehow are floating around, and, and I'm loving the trip of the tongue over the African and the African-American, because it just seems like this dub, kind of double enunciation for me um, that, that I find intriguing. And I think we have to acknowledge that in the traversal from the continent to this part of the world, um, a lot of different things happened, right? It became a completely different reality. And in many ways, it's always to, for me to go back to Du Bois and some of his really early writings when we ask questions about what is it that blackness can do? How does it have this particular power? And I think that this could be at the issue of what's at the heart of Oakley show in a way, that, um, and what we've been talking about today, which is what is this peculiar and particular power that it has an ability to speak to the universal that absolutely fundamentally questions it and undoes it in a way. And I think that if we can pursue that intellectually um, and in artwork and however we think about and discuss these matters, um, it's useful. The other thing I want to say is, of course, to go back to Du Bois again and, and reiterate that this context, this question are, that we're dealing with here is something that was really structured in the context of the United States in a way that it was not around African art in particular. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is this question of black representational space. That there was a very specific paradigm set up immediately following emancipation, thanks to Du Bois and others, to kind of to explicitly say that art is propaganda and ever must be. And that the core of this agenda had to do with the fact that black people had to make a case in this country in particular that they were human. Not equal human. This is such a fundamental context in which 
the entire project that then came out following this period, and we see it even today, this question of abstraction in relation to figuration, the question of what ends up in certain institutional contexts and what doesn't. It's about funding, it's about an entire historical trajectory on which this thing that we like to call black art has been shaped. And so I just wanted to contribute that. I think that's, I mean, I think what you're bringing up is, is exactly, I mean, it's fantastic to contribute and it's important, but it's also part of what I think has now become part of the kind of limiting, uh, part, of the, part of the barriers of which you find a lot of the imagination of this kind of the way to imagine this even idea of humanity that these these the kind of what if you think of like Kojo Eshin's writing is about posthumanism and the kind of what's possible what's completely possible past that moment I think there's a there's somewhat of a resistance or a limit in the in in in, in certain um, places of accept of allowing that to exist in visual art. I don't mean artists aren't doing that, and I don't mean musicians aren't making that that the, that sound. And f flexing is not trying to shift what the what the conversation can be and dance around that stuff. But then new language is not being invented. But but there's a there's kind of a, a limit in terms of how people want to consume or allow that the, 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 that conversation to take place. And that's a, I don't know why that that. I'm, I, we're marking the same thing. Yeah, actually. I no, mean, I agree with you. Uh, yeah, no, I. And I think that's also why it's hard to look. Why you have a diff, why it's hard to have this other lens for mm. under why even the United States is not even interested outside of a black the black imagination, but outside of that, the, the Museum of Modern Art is not that as, as as fantastic as so many of the people are that work there. It's not that interested in a very kind of rigorous conceptual contemporary African art show at the moment. No. For the same reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's have um, more and then we'll get back <laughs> to this question. My name is Brigitte. Thank you. Uh, I just want, I uh, wholeheartedly agree with you, Koyo, with Julie, with your intervention, and I think it's exactly what the problem is, it seems to me that this kind of um, dialogue should be broadened to a much wider uh, audience, including intellectuals and non-academics, intellectuals, filmmakers, any kind, any kind of um, artistic expression or not, or, or thoughtful, uh, I mean, thinking process. That that dialogue should be introduced and, and, and should be broadened to include every single um, individual that want to express, precisely that want to uh, express the, the black subject, subject, subjectivities, including, you know, that should be inclusive to the culture that we are living in. So I'm thinking, I keep thinking of uh, Pasolini when in the seven, early 70s decided to go to Africa to actually search for a new identity including Greek philosophy. The basis of Greek philosophy when he did the study of African study for Orestes. And that has been not so much, it's been quite overlooked and never reappropriated re later on, and that's a very extremely important phenomena, I think, in precisely understanding how, and he was only in the early 70s, he was very much ahead of his time, how he could think globally 
and reintroducing the heart of Africa, going to the heart of Africa to reintroduce, bringing a cultural um, parameter that comes from literally from Europe, from Greek, Greek uh, civilization, into the heart of Africa. And this kind of dialogue should be, it seems to me, should, we should think to broaden this kind of dialogue across all the, uh, across all board from, you know. Okay. I don't know if I expressed myself properly, you. but that's the idea. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think but the, the thing, the reality is, is that actually that is already, I mean, when we think of black subjectivity, when we think of kind of the quote-unquote African-descended people's experience of, that is the experience of modernity. Mm -hmm. You know, that is, the U.S. is constituted through, this country is constituted through that experience. Europe is constituted through that experience. So is Africa, Asia. I mean, the whole world is not the specifically African-descended, but just, I just think that there comes a point where there is a certain amount of willful lack of acknowledging of that truth, that, like, it is not just for us who can be immediately identified by nature of our appearance to be concerned with these matters. I mean, this is truly... It's, uh, it's American history, it's global history, it's art history, it's, you know, MoMA is a culturally specific institution, the Metropolitan is a culturally specific institution, which is fine, but we don't think of them in that way. And so I think it is for, on some level, them to do that thinking. Because it's true already, whether or not it's attended to or not, it is already the, the basic reality of 21st century human existence. Yeah, um, I, I think that... Um, would try and get others to, to comment. Um, but I think that the, the point you make is very important, that it is not an especial burden. You know, when we're thinking about um, you know, the American identity or American subjectivity or European subjectivity, part of this is a, a lack of the, the will to actually come to terms with the fact that, say, in Europe, European identity was constituted through colonialism, through colonization. And its inability to come to terms with that fact, which is why it's always trying to redefine who are the others, even though itself was constituted by that encounter with the so-called other. And so if today they are struggling with what is European identity, um, basically trying to put back doors that they built in order to constitute um, European identity. Now they want to shut it down, right? Um, there would have been no Europe as we know it today if not for the, the economy, of, of the colonial economy that produced the, um, the, the middle class that became you know, what we take for granted as the European subject is middle class. Well, yes, because the, the labor was exported to elsewhere to produce wealth. That was colonization. That's the, the underlying tenet of colonization. And so for Europe not to come to terms with that fact, that's why we see what's happening in the Mediterranean today. And they're still not sure how to deal with that, right? That's why we see it in this country, you know, struggling with this notion of immigration. At some point, immigration was not legal or illegal. Everyone that from Europe came to the United States. When the other began to come to the United States, you started looking into legal and illegal. And this is something that 
this country is a nation of immigrants, right? Well, maybe now not so much, or at least we don't want to think of it that way because it's the other that is beginning to immigrate into the United States. So if we really are thinking about the global condition, you know, the human condition, um, we have to think of it as constituted not just by, the, by our action, but the, by, by the network of actions that includes ours and that of the other. That is why the Venice, the, all this rocus about the Venice Biennial is what it is, that the art world has always assumed of itself as singular, Euro-American. And so if someone comes from what used to be elsewhere to now ask for a rethinking of the global condition of contemporary art, you know, all hell is let loose. And to talk about the MoMA, let's, you know, since we're in New York, right? I mean, about a MoMA, but it could be, P I mean, it could be PS1, Whitney, any yeah, of these yeah. institutions the, the, we the, know. The, I mean, the, 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 yeah, the key point really is when we think of what yeah, that happened with the, with the, with the African-American position and so forth you know, at, the, at the moment, one of the underlying um, basis of that is, if one remembers the chief curator's comment about this, that they wanted a curator that would take care of that history. That history, meaning African-American, right? Even though this it wasn't is, a curator, it was an advisor. Well, no, 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 it's not, I'm talking about the curator oh, okay. and, you know, and Temkin. I mean, yeah, they wanted oh. someone to okay, come okay, in okay, and okay. take care of that history, <laughs> right? That history is, of course, yeah. So it means it's a, it's a history that belongs elsewhere, not part of the American history, which is, you know, comes back to what we're talking about, you know, how we imagine black bodies in contemporary art. They are almost always other. They are almost always coming. They are almost always rising. Ella Nasri is always new, even though he's <laughs> one of the. You and know. in the in the collection at the Metropolitan, and still is in the in the African in the area of African art yeah, as opposed to contemporary art. Collection. Still, as as he just won the Golden Lion. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a very interesting thing that one has to come to terms with, and to begin to rethink or begin to imagine what the challenges are for every one of us that is involved either as artist or curator or collector or art fair organizer you know, and so forth, that the challenges are diverse and you know, quite uh, daunting. But that's not the reason not to engage in these kinds of conversations. Because if we are thinking about what is to be done, right? That's the key um, question here, what is to be done? It is reconnecting with what used to be broken borders you know, of the imagination. That um, there, there is never, there hasn't been enough conversations such as we're having today. Because you would think that this is you know, stuff that happens. All, I can't remember the last time in New York or anywhere that intellectuals, artists, you know, citizens gather to talk about this question of black subjectivity in the global, in the international um, context. So this is, this is really radical stuff, right, to, to, have, to be doing this as far as I, I can tell. So let's um, get more questions or comments. Nick, can you hear me? Nick. 
Um, my, my question is, during this current Black Lives Matter movement, there's been, understandably and rightfully, a ton of criticism um, towards the way that the media and journalism has handled the, the events uh, in the country. And in my opinion, there hasn't been nearly as much criticism uh, hurled towards the arts media and journalism and the way that they handle and the myopia you just talked about mm -hmm. and how they're discussing the Biennale and how so many more pages of arts press is dedicated to how much money an art work makes than to artists making something, um, which naturally yeah. elides so much of the quote-unquote periphery because they're not included in that making money movement. So why aren't these art journalists and critics, why aren't they included in, in the cause and, and therefore our criticism? They should be. Absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, and most of them suck, right? Like, it, to say it like, without, there's, there's zero kind of serious rigorous criticism happening in New York City in any paper that you read outside of the Brooklyn Rail, a few things online, maybe, but most of it is, 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 is that, just as you described, myopic kind of bullshit that's just, doesn't really contribute in any serious way to the discussion of what people are doing, why they're doing it, what's, what, what, what's the rigorous discussion is around, the, they're, their project, nothing of the sort. It's mostly, like you said, about money and also about um, gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. Most of the, if you look at the Museum of Modern Arts show on painting, the fury around mid-career successful women artists mm -hmm. and their inclusion or there was zero conversation about the young white men in the show, <laughs> zero conversation about the mid-career white men in the show and very little conversation about the older women in the show. So it was this very kind of fucked up dynamic of how they really wanted to... Yeah. And then the same thing happens if you think about what's, what the response is to Oakley's show, because the, the, real, the, the, the real meat of the conversation should be the content of Oakley's yeah. show and what he's doing, which is what mm -hmm. I think these, bringing yeah. up these yeah. various dialogues that, can, that we can be discussing, mm -hmm. rather than the kind of re response by these critics who can't stomach it, so, or don't get it. And really, they don't get it because they don't, they don't travel, they don't see what's happening in the rest of the world, and so they really they chase their tail and they look in their bellies. That's what happens in New York. I mean, it's like backwater... It's a shame. It's a, yeah. yeah, it's... Like, it feels like we only hold the, the art press kind of accountable at very few moments. I'm, I'm now thinking about, you know, all of the uh, uproar o over the uh, criticism over Now Dig This, yes. for example, when it came yeah. to, you know, to PS1. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that that wasn't legitimate. Uh, that was insane. You know, that, you know, that didn't obviously, you know, ignite a number of different conversations. But mm -hmm. you're right, it's, it's very rare um, that we really kind of hold um, art critics accountable for both what they're writing and what they're not writing. Mm. Um, and I, I'm not sure why. Actually. And they participate in exactly the problem that's coming up, which is they can talk about identity and about blackness and about if, if the artists themselves make that, makes that the center stage and makes that yes. the kind of focus of their work. Mm -hmm. then, they can, then, then, then it's something that they can celebrate. But yeah. the minute that that is shift, the minute that shifts and challenges and pushes a different type of imaginary yeah. on any possibility there, there's it's just like you're touching white yeah. people's domain. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. Get out. Yeah. That's what it is. And yeah. Anyway. Well, which Please. quickly I think okay. just goes to there's a very small pool of art critics. There are not actually mm -hmm. that many. And I think like a lot of the art world, it's actually a very small world. And so in terms of numbers of people. And so I think that part of that is generational in the sense that there are always younger people coming up and hopefully who are kind of thinking in a more broad, nuanced fashion about these things, but we should hire I'm, them. Yeah, yeah but they, you know, I'm, that's what I'm saying. And, and they don't, or 
Yeah. But I must say so. We need to I must get some kind of grant project for writers because they don't earn money. They don't travel. They don't earn enough yeah. money. And so, they yeah. can't, so that's why you have these very few people stuck in these situations. I must say, though, that I am in debt of um, the work of Holland Cotter at the yes. New York Times. Yes. And I just have to acknowledge that, that he has been the only voice in the New York press that has consistently gone to the smallest exhibition by any African, African diaspora artist, even if it's in some window shop um, you know, space, he goes there. I agree. And very likely, I meant to say. I meant to say Colin yeah. Cotter too. Yes. He's really yeah. been, and he's a very informed, well-read, very knowledgeable yes. person who responds, yeah, yes. from that place. Yes. But I just, well, oh. just a challenge. I love Holland Cotter. I do, and yeah. I'm super excited when we hear that he's going to review, you know, one of our shows. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> that it's not, you know, someone else. But I'm. Yeah. At the same time, though, I think is while yeah. I love Holland, I'm yeah. just going to say that a triple time, just in case yeah. he's listening somewhere. Yeah. He very seldom um, mm. writes anything negative or critical, mm -hmm. let me just say, critical about mm -hmm. um, shows, including artists of African descent. Yeah. And there, sometimes, I'm not saying I want a bad review. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put that out there. Lord yeah. help me. But I, I would like, sometimes I would mm. like to be taken to task. Sometimes I would like someone mm. to, maybe to my face, not in the print. Yeah. Yeah. But um, <laughs> Holland, the thing with Holland is he won't take on, he won't take it on. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the saying, criticism like, is, of Holland. Is that to our, you know, is that to our detriment? Like the, the yeah. fact that no one is willing to, mm. in an interesting and critical way. I'm not mm. saying I want Roberta Smith to just like rip yeah. my, you know, shows apart. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like sometimes, I know mm. that Holland is going to give a, a generally positive yeah. review, yeah. and I'm wondering if that's like really helping us. Um, or if that's yeah. really yeah, uh, um, it's it's. Like, so I, I love the fact that he goes to the most yeah. random storefronts. I think I think he goes further than that. I think he has yeah. a real historical analysis. Right. I think yeah. he he asks serious questions. Mm -hmm. I think he um, begs for he t takes things apart when they need to be taken apart. He pulls out the failures in shows as well as the successes. But he rarely does that for I, I think he rarely does that well, with show, with, yeah. for shows of artists of color like majority. Like he might but do that. For the thing is, he doesn't Momo. necessarily write on that many. Yeah. So he's very care he's very careful on who he will choose to actually review in those ways. Yeah, I but, think but I hear what you're saying. Even, about but asking I think those questions. again, though, even if he does or doesn't, the fact, the fact that, that he's, he's doing singular, it. yeah, is yeah. he can. I mean, he can do what he does. He's wonderful. He can do what he does. But the fact that you can really only think of one <laughs> critic who's really engaging with the work that is presented, yeah. engaging with exhibitions, including the work of artists of color on a conceptual level, on a curatorial level, because that is what I see in a lot mm. of the criticism is that mm. it's, I think it's almost similar to what you were saying, Julie, about whether what people can attach to, and if that thing is not there, then they have nothing to attach to, this kind of very overt connection to identity, to a certain like positioning of race or racial identity, et cetera. So it's more that like, you know, I, I have received a very unkind review from another New York Times critic, and yeah. you know that was a growing experience. But what I will say <laughs> though about it is that yeah. it wasn't. It's fine if you do or don't like an exhibition, but if mm -hmm. you don't like it, I really think, as the very least you can do, it is your job as a critic is to engage conceptually with cur the curatorial 
strategy. And you might not like it. That's fine. I'm not here to say you have to like everything I do, but I do expect you to engage with what is there, not with either what is not there, what you thought was going to be there, what you... And I think Holland does that. And I... Again, though, he shouldn't be the only... He shouldn't be singular. Yeah, I I think... uh, Let's let's get... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, please. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Just briefly, um, just to... You know, thank you all so much for uh, this conversation. Um, I I deeply challenge this idea that this conversation isn't happening. Um, I think to say that undoes uh, a lot of the work of many of the individuals that are in this room um, to say that. um, And that's really it. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, everybody, <laughs> I mean, uh, my name is Jamil Kasako. Um, I mean, Adrian's uh, awesome show um, at NYU uh, a couple years ago. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's, it's happening everywhere. I, I can't like go through a list, but um, it's everywhere, I think. I, it requires a certain amount of maybe being in the know um, it may not be happening on the scale that we want to see it happening, uh, but I, I mean, I get inundated with a number of topics and conversations. I wish I could go to everything, but I can't. So just have to say that. <laughs> so I think a, a lot of this conversation is happening. So. Um, I wanted to echo what he's saying. I'm sorry if I interrupted. So my name is Ikwa. I'm a writer and filmmaker based here in Brooklyn. I'm a Nigerian. And I hear this conversation happening a lot. And in fact, last week I was in New York African Film Festival and I didn't realize that Jim Chuchu, who directed a film called Stories of Our Lives about uh, Kenyan LGBT stories, also has art exhibiting here. And so we are often engaged in these conversations, although I've never experienced it in quite a money, as moneyed a way as this, and I don't know if that's the distinction of the conversation is being had or not, if it's not being had moneyed in quite, I mean, when I showed up and there was a luxury shuttle to escort me here, I mean, I've been to so many festivals because I'm a filmmaker and I've never experienced anything on this level, but I'm not sure if the distinction is those of us having these conversations in a bar somewhere in Brooklyn. I mean, at the end of the screening um, last week, um, many of us coming from Philippe Lacote's run, which premiered with Isaac Dibankole, we all ran, Andrew Dawson, all of us went to a bar and we're chatting. I mean, we got into an argument over whether his Mother of George film is a Yoruba film or just should just be a film. So we're often engaged in these dialogues, but I think we're having them amongst ourselves. And um, it takes a special person to kind of promote that dialogue to a larger to a larger discourse that is involving many more people mm. and i f- and i often feel also that the people that are put in those positions they're not actually as conversant in these issues as we would like they're often having the same arguments again and again and it's like mm. didn't i hear that five last week and mm. a year ago and five years ago and those of us actually having the critical conversations are are not in those positions yes um i i think yes Okay. Then, okay. Uh, it's, it's just a quick comment because uh, because we are talking about global subjectivities. My name is Fabiana, mm-hmm. and I'm from Brazil. And I heard Brazil twice. And I was first thinking when I he- heard, I would love to have a gallery from Brazil here. I was trying to think how could that happen. 
mm. uh, how would that happen? Because um, although for you uh, this conversation doesn't happen, or maybe it does as much as it should here, um, for me, I, was, I spent eight months in Brazil, and I was uh, ad advertising about the conversations that happened here, and for me, in a more broader level than it happens in Brazil about that, although we are a, 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 a country with half of the population black, just to think about discussing that is forbidden in that country. Just, it, for me, it was a surprise. It was, I was born then, and I lived there for many, many years, and I, I'm here just for eight, uh, eight years. And to discover that, it's, it's, the words that would come to my mind was be forbidden, uh, taboo, uh, and I went there for eight months just specifically to learn about the visual artist that would be the black visual artist because we don't see yeah. at all uh, in galleries or museums and not just we don't see that it's it's so oblivious that they feel comfortable to say to an interview we don't show because they don't exist you know so if you feel comfortable just even say that just, people don't even say that so they, we say things there that I, I'm so surprised so they, the artists that I could meet in this month was they feel shy about considering talking about their sub subjectivity. It's so interesting. So it, it takes a person to go say, no, you can talk about yourself, about your experience. You, people want to know about your experience. So just to, to do a balance, as it may not be enough here, yes. or maybe it is enough here, we are not seeing. <laughs> but at the same time, there are other places that look here and to the shows that happen here to feel comfortable and, and to feel more encouraged to continue in this, in this practice. So we, we are moving. Okay, thank you so much. Um, I, I, um, the two comments I think are very important uh, in terms of um, the fact that yes, conversations are happening, right? Um, I think what I'm talking about is not that, you know, I don't meet Julie or, you know, any of my friends and colleagues and we talk about what's going on in the art world, what's happening in our lives and so forth. Um, the question is, then what, right? To what extent do these conversations get um, carried to the next level? which is where it begins to have consequence beyond our own personal interactions and experiences. Absolutely. The reason we remember the Afri-Cobra is not because um, they didn't have the opportunity to reach out or to get heard by the people that had the voices at the time. It's that they took it upon themselves to find an avenue to project those voices, those conversations that they were having, so that they are heard. And in this day and age, the platforms are even multiple. In their day, they had to publish something and hand out you know, to you know, folks and so forth to announce that they exist. Now, that takes a certain kind of activist mentality, and it's us. It, the, the battle is not won, regardless of the successes that some might have 
you know, either as critics or professors or artists and so forth, the battle remains. And really, it's a call to action this in, the, in the sense that if we are having these conversations, how do we get them heard by the people who either they plug their ears or maybe they are too busy to hear our voices? Because if you don't shout, they will think that you're enjoying it, right? If you don't cry, they will say, oh, well, he died happy, right? That is the, really the call. And the reason that I think that this is very valuable, this conversation, is that it puts people in touch. That's why in Nigeria, where they had the Mbari um, circle of artists in the 1960s that connected African-American, Indian, South African, European uh, black artists at that point in time. It's simply that a group of people decided that the status quo is not acceptable anymore. And they decided to establish publishing uh, platforms to get this work out. Today, if there is any research being done in the 1960s, African art, you go to those publications as meager as they were then, but they were committed to print. They were archived. So the question for us as we have these conversations is how do we archive them? So that if we are not there tomorrow, someone would know that we had those conversations. That is the key question. I think that's what I'm asking for. That's what I'm asking for of myself always and of anyone who is committed to these questions of you know, black subjectivity in the art world. It's never going to end, maybe in our lifetime, but that's not the reason not to keep banging at the door. And uh, with that... If I may, I, I, may, I want to add something <laughs> very, very quickly. Um, just very briefly. I think uh, in terms of documentation, all the forum conversations from the beginning are taped and uh, audioed and... Uh, the, the, there is a plan to have them available uh, uh, on the internet and also as a as a as a kind of uh, e-publications. Uh, but I just wanted to respond very quickly to what came around here. I mean, we all have discussions. I mean, any conscious, engaged, just slightly politically sensitive. Uh, a person, I don't even want to say black or white or whatever, is engaged in conversations that have, uh, you know, a relevance to, to his or her uh, reality and work and so on. Uh, and, and, but there is at a certain moment where we, we really have to go beyond these casual discussions that we have amongst each other and bring it to another structural level. And this is what we are trying to do here. And I think it's, uh, it's not a matter of, uh, you know, measuring is it happening enough or is it not happening? But the, it's the, the point for me, what is, I think it's quite important is to realize that uh, the discussion is endless mm -hmm. and that that endlessness, endlessness, something like that, can be filled over and over and over again from different perspectives, from different angles. And it's not about a moneyed kind of structure. If you knew how 
this event is organized, you would never say that this is a moneyed thing. And at the same time, if there were no shuttles available, people would say, well, it's not, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, the access is, it's not accessible. And, uh, you know, so I think we, we really have to understand how to uh, make things happen and make them accessible and make them available. And it can even be a very luxury shuttle. Enjoy it, you know, because it brings <laughs> you here. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and to, to understand that uh, the informality is valuable, but we have to bring stuff to another structural level that exactly can lead to the the ever, ever question of what next. Yeah. Thank you so much.